Amen. All right, good morning. Um, it is hot in here. And the AC wasn't on when we came in, so we turned it on. I feel it cooling my soul right now, which is great. Uh, but it's about to get sweaty up here. So I'm just going to warn you, if you have Gatorade or if you have a towel handy, just throw it up here. Uh, I'd appreciate that a ton. I'll probably do the Pentecostal or Southern Baptist head wipe a few times, okay? All right, yeah, so it's a privilege to be here and continue our series in uh, Proverbs. Last week, if you were around or if you had a chance to get caught up, uh, we started the book of Proverbs. We're going to be doing that um, for the next couple months, eight weeks or so. And what we got to see as we introed the book last week is that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord, right? So we looked at humility and awe and reverence, that the beginning of wisdom isn't more information. The beginning of wisdom isn't figuring out life hacks and making the best plan possible so that nothing can change our plan, but the beginning of wisdom is actual reverence and awe and humility before God, right? That's where it actually starts. So that's where wisdom starts. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where information starts, or that's where knowledge starts, or that that's where awareness starts. But that's definitely where true wisdom starts. And it's when God is at the center of our life, and the center of our priorities, and our morality, and our values, that we actually walk in the way of wisdom. But we got to see the kind of intro that we're going to look at more this week. But if we're at the center, our definition of, of right, and good, and true, and beautiful, and, and worth worth pursuing and living for, that leads to folly, right? It leads to destruction. It leads to disappointment and brokenness. And so what Proverbs does, we got to see last week, is it sits us down in front of two proverbial trees, just like we see in the garden narrative, right? We get to sit down in front of two different trees. One, if we take and eat of it, we become wise in our own eyes. But another tree, if we take and eat of it, we become truly wise in light of who God is, right? So we got to see that. What we're going to do this week is we're going to skip all the way to Proverbs chapter 9. The reason why we're going to do that is because chapters 1 to 8 is a really long introduction. Okay? And I'm encouraging all of us to read through Proverbs uh, in full. Just so you know how it breaks down, it takes about two hours to read the book of Proverbs in one sitting. That means over the course of the next eight weeks, that's only about 15 minutes per week. Not even per day. If you cannot find 15 minutes per week, you are way more important than you think you are, okay? So it's really important that we prioritize reading through the whole book, because I really do think that you're going to glean more from the series as we go through and teach it, because I'm going to be hitting kind of main things, not everything, okay? You with me on that? So in chapter 9, we see a long introduction through chapter 1 through 8. And what's happening is, we get to chapter 9 and finally, readers are presented with a decision. We have to make a decision already in chapter 9. Are we going to go in the way of wisdom or are we going to go in the way of folly? Chapter 9 shows up after a long conversation between a father and a son. Where a father is instructing his young son about the way of wisdom warning him of what it looks like to go the way of folly. And then in chapter 9, the son and us, proverbial sons and daughters, are presented with a decision to be made. Which way will we go? All throughout chapter 1 through 8, there's an offering of wisdom. There's a way of wisdom, and now he has a choice. But we see two competing versions of wisdom all throughout the first eight chapters. And in chapter 9, they become personified in Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. So we have two characters introduced into the narrative. That there's Lady Wisdom, the voice and path of Lady Wisdom, or there is the crooked path of destruction and the voice of Lady Folly. So we have two proverbial women, pun intended by accident, so unintended. But they're both beautiful. They both look really good. They both look like they have something to offer. There's something luring and enticing about both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we have a decision to make because what, what we see in chapter 9 is that Lady Folly is offering wisdom, but it's counterfeit wisdom. It's empty. It might even look better and sound better, but ultimately it's not actually satisfying. It doesn't lead us to knowledge and insight and wisdom. It leads to destruction and ultimately death. We'll see. 
Now, this is set up for us way back in chapter 1. I'll read uh, a few verses just so you can see that this is not new. And you can kind of see it traced through. But in chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, watch this. Wisdom calls out in the street, and she makes her voice heard. So see the personification here. In the public squares. She cries out, above all the commotion. Right? Anybody, have we experienced any commotion recently? No? Yeah, me neither. Okay, that's good. But wisdom cries out above all the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates so that everybody who's entering in hears of her. How long, O oh inexperienced ones, will you love to be ignorant? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking? Insert Twitter. And you fools hate knowledge. If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Now right away, if you're just a good reader and you're reading good, Get it? Yeah, okay, good. Reading well, okay? You'll notice right away that this is far more than just a lady with some wisdom, right? If you see, it's actually a personification of God himself. Because God is now promising, if you listen to the call of wisdom, I will pour my spirit out on you. Meaning I will just totally overwhelm you and encompass you. Right? I will give you a new spirit, a new name, a new identity if you follow after the path of wisdom. So that's what we're set up with in chapter 1. And we see wisdom crying aloud in the street, in the marketplace. Now this is interesting. Notice that wisdom, Lady Wisdom is not sitting in the temple, right, pontificating with a funny hat, being like, everybody come here, do these religious things, and I'll give you wisdom. Where is wisdom to be found? In the public square. It's to be found in the ordinary life. It's, it's the everyday stuff. Which remember when we introed the book last week, we saw that Proverbs doesn't let us compartmentalize our life into spiritual and non-spiritual. But that every single thing about our life, parenting, money, where we live, how we live, why we do what we do, our jobs, everything, how we take care of our front lawn, all of it is spiritual. Amen? It all points to something fundamentally core to our being about why we are and who we are. And Proverbs doesn't allow us just to kind of do, but this is my Sunday thing. I do my Sunday best. And then the rest of your life, you're a train wreck. That's not an option here. Right? So notice, she's actually crying aloud. Lady Wisdom is crying out loud, inviting everyone. That's good news, amen? Like, like the invitation is to everybody. Notice that there's no like VIP pass or dress code or like moral record or upbringing or orientation or beliefs or thoughts. That it's just everyone, be invited, come, come and join me as I teach you about my wisdom. Notice that the only prerequisite to go the way of wisdom is humility. It's knowing what you don't know. The wise man and woman knows that they don't know. That's the beginning of wisdom. There's a posture, there's an orientation that happens in us. There's a humility, there's a neediness, knowing that we do not have all the answers. Knowing that we do not see the scope of human history. Amen? Anybody? Right? Like that's the beginning of wisdom, knowing that. Starting from a posture of neediness and desperation. But the good news is that the invitation is to everyone. Everybody come, come. Come and listen to wisdom. Come and follow after the way of wisdom. And there's a really important point here that we're going to see throughout the whole book of Proverbs. And it's, a, and it's an important point that's pointed out here, and it's honestly just hit more often than you'd want to know. Like, it just kind of like gets kind of annoying. You're like, didn't, what, didn't, wasn't that just three verses ago, right? But it really, really wants to em emphasize this point. That church, listen, becoming wise is more about orientation than about information. It's more about what you are living towards than it is about what you know. It's more about, it's more than just life hacks. It's more than just skill or competence in an area, it's skill and competence in all of life. So let me ask you a question, because Proverbs is going to ask it of you over the next eight weeks. What are you living towards? Because in our secular, kind of post-Christian, godless worldview, where again, like, time and chance are on our side, and we just come from nowhere, we're going nowhere, all we have, if that's our worldview, is the moment. You with me on that? Like all we have is now, and how green my grass is, and how shiny my car is, and how much money I have. Because I just go back to nothing anyway. Right? So, so what are you living towards? Because that end, that telos, that end point of where we're headed, casts a shadow backwards and changes everything. 
Because if we're going back to nothing and no one and nowhere, we have no one to answer to. We have no actual accountability for how we've lived or what we've done with what we've done. Then I could just be reckless and the way of the fool and towards folly makes a lot of sense. Are you with me on that? But if there's going to come a day where I am going to answer for the life that I did not give myself that I've just been able to steward and manage and I'm going to give it back and I'm going to answer for the life that I've been gifted with, however short or long or good or bad I thought it was, if that is my telos, if that is my end point, it is going to change everything. And that's what Proverbs wants us to see. That wisdom happens by orienting ourselves in the right direction, not just about consuming and being aware of the right information. Super important. What are you living towards? Where does this all go? Like, where are you headed? What is the point? What is the so what? Right, so I, I mean, I'm three quarters of a PhD, so I'm SMRT, right? And I've done a lot of writing over the years and like writing schools and stuff and instruction. And it's always just like, no, like what's the so what? Like get the reader to the so what, right? Because if you're just like rambling on about nonsense, it's just kind of like you got to take us somewhere, right? And that's exactly this. It's like we're going somewhere, to something, the secular humanistic worldview doesn't have any answers for us or anything hopeful. So the way of folly looks really good because it's like, well, Lady Folly looks pretty. She sounds like she'll be good. I'll just go after that. Because there's no actual telos. There's no orientation towards something that is going to matter eternally. But not with us. Not with the way of wisdom. Uh, Ray Ortland, great pastor, said that we are all becoming the end of our journey. We're all becoming the end of our journey, whether that's wise or foolish. Like, I mean, your end is only going to be the accumulation of what you did with every single day. You with me on that? Like, like your life is made up of moments, not big breakthrough sensational things, moments. Like, you you are just going to be accumulation of your moments, and wisdom would call us to pay attention to those moments. Those ordinary, normal, everyday moments. And that wisdom is found there. That's the invitation. Now culture today, we're going to look at these two paths, okay? We're going to look at the way of wisdom and the way of folly. But culture today just kind of shows up and gives us another way, right? Gives us a third way. Well, I can determine my path. I'll just determine my path. I'll determine my way. I will just define what morality is and destiny and purpose. And I'll just determine who I am and what I am and what I'm not. And Proverbs shows up and goes, okay, you're free to do that. You can do that. But where is it going? Is it going towards wisdom? In Proverbs several times in chapter 14 and again in chapter 16, and then over and over and over again, every couple chapters, we're reminded that there is a way that seems right to us, but in the end is what? The way of destruction. So again, we have a culture of going, this way seems right to us. But Proverbs shows up and says, you're free to determine that third way, but guess what? Somewhere down the road, it merges into, lady, in, into the way of folly. It might look like a third way. It's like, I'll just take this way. I won't go this way because religious people, right? And I won't go this way because that looks dumb, right? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to determine my own way. But guess what? You cast that forward enough, and that eventually merges right into the way of folly. And Proverbs wants to warn us of this, and it's a loving warning. It's a very affectionate, loving warning that we get here. There's a way that seems right to you, but in the way is destruction. Do you live like that? Because most of us don't, right? I don't. Like, I'm sovereign over my own little kingdom, and it's so cute and awesome, and Dustin gets to like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Remember the book of James? It's like, some of you guys are like investing, thinking, oh, I'm going to go do that in a year, and then I'll move to this city, and then I'll, and he's just like, dumb, right? <laughs> don't do that, <laughs> right? And that's not saying don't be wise and make plans. Of course we want to make plans, but if those aren't written in pencil, then we have just put ourselves in the place of being sovereign over all things. So this is the warning. There's a way that seems right. You and I have plans that we thought we were going to have, and they were going to work out a certain way, and then all of a sudden, something has changed. And we've had to either go, no, I'm going to white knuckle my plan and end up in the ditch of folly, or I'm going to be humble. And I'm going to acknowledge that I don't actually see the end. And I don't know all the things that are about to come, come my way. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. 
let alone next week or 35 years from now. And there's a humility in that, and that's what we're invited to. Okay, so that's the importance here of stressing what are we living towards. Okay, so let's look at the two ways. Let's look at these two paths. The first is Lady Wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. And then again, chapter 10, uh, sorry, verse 10 and 11. Ready? Wisdom has built her house. She's resourceful. She has carved out her seven pillars for the foundation of her house. She has prepared her meat. That's fine meat. Like just, I mean, just, okay, I'm hungry. Never, never mind. Never, I, I won't, I won't. Okay. Really del delicious meat, okay? Uh, she has mixed her wine. She has also set a table. She has sent out all of her female servants. She's killing it, right? And she calls out from the highest points of the city, all across the city, whoever is simple, immature, or inexperienced, enter here. Come here. I got something to show you. To the one who lacks sense and maturity, she says, come and eat my bread and drink the wine that I have prepared. Leave inexperience behind. And you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. Then a few verses later, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, wisdom, your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life. Okay, pause. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of Old Testament imagery packed in there. We'll unpack a little bit of it so you know what's going on, because you're like, seven pillars, delicious meat, mixed wine. What? Usually mixed wine is bad because it's watered down because you ran out. I don't understand, right? So here's what's happening. Seven pillars. This is a huge house. In the ancient world, this was a massive house. This is a mansion. This isn't like a fishing chalet in Il Perot, okay? Like this is, this is a house, okay? And it's on seven pillars, meaning not only is it built really well, because there's wisdom and thoughtfulness that has gone on into the construction of this home, of this mansion, but the number seven is always symbolic in the Hebrew ecosystem, right? It's always symbolic for what? Perfection, wholeness, I see wholeness, I, I, see your, I see your mouths, I'm reading your lips. Completion, right? Completion, wholeness, right? Okay, yeah, seven means complete. Like there, there's nothing left to round this out or complete it or finish it because it's finished. There's completeness, there's wholeness. And then the meat, now in Hebrew, it's like a fine feast of meat. Now listen, we get to eat meat most days, unless you're vegan or Sagittarius or, that's not a thing, <laughs> that's not a food thing. Um, Pecatarian or whatever, or, or vegetarian or vegan, okay? Uh, but we can go and eat meat every day, right? Like most, most Western diets, we have meat in our diet every single day. That is not what the ancient world was made up of. That was a luxury. Like meat was like, oh wow, this is a big deal. Go kill the fattened calf. Bring it in because we're partying, right? So just understand that this to us is like normal. It's like, oh, it's lamb. That's nice, right? But here, it's like, no, no, this is luxury. Something big is happening here. Like there's a celebration, there's a banquet. This is not everyday food, this is special food. This is a special occasion that's happening. And then you notice the mixed wine part, right? The mixed wine. Now, in the ancient world, you would mix wine with extra spices or ingredients and fruit and that kind of thing to actually make it better. Like it would be really good wine, right? And it's, it's fermented, like it's alcoholic, okay, Christians? It's delicious, all right? To the glory of God, just it's beautiful glass of red wine, all right? And here, here it is, and, it's, and she's saying, this is, this is what I've prepared for you. I've done all of this. And then, notice she says, there's a table. Okay, you got to always also remember, in the ancient world, normal eating position was what? Reclined on the floor, right? Like this. Glad I didn't kick the piano over. <laughs> it's happened. Um, but it's reclining on the floor. The fact that there's a table shows, again, luxury. It's like, this is a big deal. This is quite an event that is happening here, Right? And then last but not least, it mentions the high places, that her, her house is built on the high place, but that her voice is ringing out from the high place across the city. Now, why is that significant? Well, everywhere in the Old Testament, when you see a high place or you see a mountain, what's happening on that mountain? Worship. The temple was built on a high place, the temple mount, Mount Sinai. You just keep going all the way through. What's happening in the Old Testament is that high places were associated with worship of God, 
And that's true gods and false gods, uh, but also the presence of God. And so something else is happening here with the allegory and the imagery. This is not just a woman who's wise, building a really nice house, having a great meal. This is personifying something that is true about God. And God is inviting us to come and have true worship so we'll experience true wisdom. Okay, do you see everything that's happening there? And notice what the way into the banquet is. It's an open invitation and the way is neediness. Notice that she's prepared everything, right? So in our culture, it's very strange. You say, hey, come on over for dinner. What do you ask right away? What can we bring? Right? Right away. At this party, if you brought something, you're a fool going the way of folly and you can't come in, <laughs> right? At this party, you have to bring nothing. Because you are the needy one, and you are about to get doted on, and completely just taken care of, and served, and that is the posture of our God. That we're invited not to come and just bring what we have and hope he can make something of it, but that the posture towards wisdom is to come with nothing. Open hands, empty pockets, no fronting, no kind of like, Flexing and like, look, look what I got, look at my suit, look at my dress, right? Like it's like nothing. You come to the banquet wearing your worst shorts, your worst t-shirt, your worst hair or no hair, right? And you show up at the banquet and Lady Wisdom welcomes you in and treats you and spoils you. That's the picture of our God. Knowing that we are not self-sufficient is the prerequisite of true worship. It's the prerequisite of experiencing wisdom. It's the prerequisite for actually knowing this God. Knowing that we're not self-made in a culture that says we can be. Knowing that we can't be self-made. And we can't be self-actualized without knowing the one who has made us. That we can't provide everything for yourself. Okay, hear me. You can't provide everything for yourself. You can't provide everything for your kids. You can't provide everything for your spouse. You cannot. And you will not. And if you continue to try, you will fail. And so this posture is, I don't need to. That I get to be cared for. And then I get to go and use and manage and steward everything I've been given for the benefit of others and care for others. And I just love that. Because honestly for me, like the good news here in this passage is that this reflects the gospel so perfectly that Lady Wisdom shows up and calls to the needy to the broken, to the tired, to the sinners, to the tax collectors, to the drunkards, to the ladies of the night, to all of that, and says, come, let me care for you. Let me take care of you. Come and enjoy. I've prepared it for you. And we won't go there now, but if you remember how Revelation ends, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. The party is never going to stop. And this is why I'm always confused by religious people who are like, I really love Jesus, but I'm grumpy about everything else. You're like, I don't know if you know Jesus. Right? Like, I, I'm not, I don't know. Or at least you haven't, like, explored a certain part of him that's, like, really fun and, like, full of joy and awesome. Like, awesome to be around, you know? Because, because honestly, I think this flies in the face of a, a modern myth that floats around. And that is, like, God is just a killjoy. Like, that's why I think our culture is just kind of like, Oh, that's really repressive and stiff and stuffy. I'm going to go my way. And it's like, no, 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 oh, whoa, hold on, no. That's not this. Like, like this God has prepared this feast, this banquet, and you're going to enjoy yourself more than you imagine going your way. Like, like, that might look good, but it ends in destruction. So come this way. Because God actually knows better and he wants to take care of you. That he's actually the chief author of joy. Like, that's crazy to think about, that God is more about your joy than you ever could be. Isn't that wild? Like, if that doesn't make you want to worship, if that doesn't make you want to repent, if that doesn't make you want to just run towards that God. But we have to correct that. We have to understand that God is not a, a killjoy. It confronts a very popular lie that you, we hear often, especially as young, young people are processing the gospel. It's like, what do you mean repentance and like saying no to my flesh? My flesh is awesome. And you're like, hmm. It seems that way. It seems that way. But where does it lead us? Where does it go? What does that orient us towards? Does it actually satisfy? Right? And that's what we're seeing here as a picture. That God is actually more committed to your joy and satisfaction and happiness than you ever could be. Now listen, if you don't hear rings of the garden in that lie, you're missing it, right? The lie of the garden was, 
oh, no, no, no. God's holding out on you. God, God's holding out on you. Like, there's way better fruit. There's way better things that we can go and take and see. He's just holding out on you because he's just trying to, like, keep you from joy. But that's the lie. But there, he actually created us for him, which is where we get our joy. And so Lady Wisdom is showing that, putting that on full display. Remember John Piper is burned into my head in his book, Desiring God, said, God is most glorified, meaning pleased, when we are most satisfied in him. Like, like if you think about that, you're just like, wow. Like, God, God's really happy when I'm, like, really happy in him. Like, when I'm really satisfied in him. And I've repented and I've gone, hey, that was dumb. I ran to that thing again. I'm turning back to you because you are better. And God's just like, yes. Not like, Rrr. right? So we've got to kind of change, like, our mental picture here. Because that's not the portrait of the God of wisdom. And it's not how he's speaking through lady wisdom. And if you remember, Jesus uses a similar imagery, right? In John 6, when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes and eats will never be hungry again. That's this. It's like banquet. Beautiful. Come eat. Buffet of all of your favorite spread. Everything's there. You just get to come and eat and never gain weight. Praise the Lord. I stepped on the scale last week and was horrified. Trying to like invest in like moo's maybe and just like cover up differently, you know, like stretch my shirts out. I won't need to worry about that at the banquet. Praise God. All right, let's keep going. There's an interlude. We have a little interlude. Who loves interludes? Who loves interludes on, on albums? Yeah? Stop it. They're, they're ridiculous. Every interlude, I'm just like, skip, right? <laughs> but it carries the narrative through, and it's artistic, and blah, blah. I get it. Okay. But here's the, here's the interlude. There's an interlude between the call of Lady Wisdom and the call of Lady Folly. And the, and the interlude's really important because it introduces us to a character we touched on last week, and that's the mocker, the fool, right? Watch this. The scoffer, verse 7 through 9. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on themselves. That doesn't sound fun, right? The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. But rebuke, so correct, rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. Okay, there's something happening here because it's important for us to see Lady Folly is about to invite all of the mockers to come with her. And so right here, the author is just giving us a little portrait of, be careful, this could be you. And not this could be you, this is you. Okay, so if you don't see a little bit of yourself in the mocker, it's because you are the mocker. And if you do see a part of yourself in the mocker, then you're humbly wise and understanding that you want to be less like the mocker. Okay? Sound good? But the mocker always knows best. Always. Resists all authority that's outside of them. Always pushing, always pushing on any authority that is not what they have designed. They respond to criticism and correction with attacks or with emotional distractions. You go and try to correct them or offer something constructive, and immediately it's your fault that you've done that. They talk constantly when challenged. They think that people really need their opinion. Like they think their opinion is way more important than honestly it really is. And then the internet shows up and tells them that it's really important. So that kind of sucks, right? Because the mockers are there and it's just like, look at all the likes. I'm really important. And everybody else is kind of like, I need to delete the internet now, right? But that's the mocker. Always, ch when, when challenged, always talking back, always mouthing off, always the exception to the rule, always demeaning others. Everything is an argument to be won instead of an opportunity to grow. That's the mocker. That's the portrait all throughout Proverbs of the mocker. They never listen because they don't need to grow. They don't listen because they don't need to become wise because they are already wise. They're already wise in their own eyes. Now the person who doesn't listen to criticism and correction is doomed to repeat the same error. That's just true. Anyone who's married, if you're married, you have a built-in correction device called your spouse. And it is constantly, lovingly, sometimes, most of the time not, reminding you that you are going the way of folly, right? If you are single 
and you are not married yet or whatever your life situation is, it's so important to surround yourselves with others that can offer correction because lost in kind of an echo chamber by ourselves, we start to have a better view of ourselves or a worse view of ourselves, which is just as bad. And so if we don't surround ourselves with a community of voices who love us, now listen, not everyone, okay? You don't need 13 opinions on how much of a fool you are. You just need a couple that you trust and that you know are going to wound you lovingly, not wound you because, because they want to hurt you. But notice that the wise, this is interesting, the wise man and woman doesn't just tolerate criticism, but loves it. Isn't that weird? This week, when you were aware of your folly and your weakness, or you had something pointed out, were you just like, oh, I love this. Tell me more, wife. So good. Tell, yeah, no, keep going. Go to like point 11. Yes, I love this. No, of course not. Like no, no one ever is just like in the middle of criticism being like, mm, yeah, I'm wise, baby. Let's go. Proverbs, throw it on me, right? But if you notice the wise, even in the moment, if you don't know that this is good for your soul, at least after when you go back and apologize, <laughs> you can be like, nah, that was good for me. I think, thank you for saying that. Like I know your intentions. I know that I need to hear this, right? So the wise man or woman doesn't just tolerate wisdom, but actually seeks it out. Do you have somebody in your life, married, single, young, old, do you have someone in your life that you can actually go to, seek out and say, how can I continue to grow? Because if you don't, this is the warning, that we must actually seek it out. Proverbs is saying is that if you don't have that person that you can go and seek out that correction, then you are in danger of becoming a mocker, making your own path and knowing what's best, and then your path ends up merging into lady folly. Okay? So that's the interlude for all of you interlude lovers. Next up, we see on the other side of the street, so here we go, we're walking down the street, we hear Lady Wisdom's call, we see her house, wow. Then, all of a sudden, there's a distraction. There's another voice from the other side of the street, okay? And here's what the voice says. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point in the city, so also at the high places, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Isn't that amazing? The, the goal of foolishness, the goal of Lady Folly is to get you off of the path towards wisdom. Just to distract you enough to be like, oh, what was that? Oh, all of a sudden, eight-year detour in foolishness. You're like, dang it, Right? That's what's happening here. Whoever is experienced, enter here. Come on. To those who lack sense, she says, hey, stolen water is sweet, right? Stolen chocolate bars taste better. So come on in. You don't have to pay for it because I stole it, right? Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Like, whoa, that took an M. Night Shyamalanian turn real fast, right? I can never say it. I try to read it. I go, I, I try, I practice. I can never say it. I really like his stuff, though. But, but you see what I mean? That took a real Stephen King. There you go. That took a real Stephen King turn at the end, where everything looked really good. It's like stolen bread, that tastes good, right? Stolen water, mmm, delicious. <laughs> I don't know why, right? But it's like it ends with her guests at her banquet are the spirits from old. Departed spirits. And, and she actually makes her house, her guests in the depths of Sheol, which is the Old Testament's way of saying the nether, the nether world, the abyss, the darkness, not life, the opposite of life. So see the portrait that's happening here. We have Lady Wisdom calling us from this side. We have Lady Folly distracting us from this side. And it says she's a, a rowdy woman. Right, right away from Lady Wisdom, you just get an amazing feeling of like royalty, right? Like there's a respect. You're like, I'm in the presence of like someone great. When you read the portrait of Lady Wisdom. This one, she's drunk on the porch, playing the banjo, yelling, come on in. Look at me. Pulling on her overalls, okay? <laughs> just kidding. Don't, don't remember that part. But she's outside. She's sounding good. What, your offer sounds good. She's looking good. Everything looks good at the high place. So it's like, wow, must be, must be good. Like, must be good. I can go there too. But it's counterfeit. It's a counterfeit wisdom. 
It's stolen water. It's not even hers. It doesn't belong to her. Why? Because she can't provide. Because she's not a provider. She's not, she doesn't actually care. She's not a creator. And actually in the Old Testament, um, we're going to skip this part because it's family Sunday, but there's erotic undertones to the language here in the Hebrew. There's something very enticing about that. Something very inappropriate about this. It looks good, sounds good, promises to satisfy, but it's fleeting. It's fleeting and it ends in destruction. It looks like it leads to life, but it only leads to death. Okay? So that's what's happening. Now, here we go. Begs the question of us. As we look at these two portraits, it begs the question, who do we choose? Who should we choose? Like anybody's like, well, obviously, that's obvious. We should choose Lady Wisdom. Clearly, we should go the way of wisdom. But do we? Do we? Do you? Did you this week? Left alone when no one else was looking, when no one else could see your thoughts. Did you go the way of wisdom? Or did you go after the fleeting, the easy, the convenient, the thing that looked good, sounded good, felt good, but ultimately is not good? Are you oriented towards wisdom? Were you oriented towards wisdom this week? It's so important to not look at this and be like, oh, great, great, good sermon, that was great, good portraits of the ladies. And then just walk out and be like, summertime. But honestly, we have to sit with this and actually come to terms with, are we actually oriented that way? Some of us might be on a distracted, meandering way right now of heading towards Lady Folly. Some of us may have just got back on the straight way towards wisdom. And we've learned a lot by some of the detours that we've, we've taken. But this is the challenge to us. This is the question. Are we living in the right direction? Are we oriented towards wisdom? Do our priorities say so? Does how we spend our time say so? Does how we spend our, our energy, does, does how we spend our money say so? When we look at our week, does it say that we have lived towards wisdom? Because that's what Proverbs wants to challenge us with, but also encourage us towards. To understand that our future is only the accumulation of our present decisions. That our life is made up of moments. Are we on the way of wisdom? Now I think what's interesting here, and this is kind of like in the, under, the undertow of the book. Folly confuses awareness with wisdom. And culturally, we touched on this a bit last week, okay? We're aware of a lot more than we ever have been before today. We live in the information age, like, ad nauseum, right? But that doesn't mean we're more wise. And folly confuses awareness with wisdom. Um, I, I, actually, McCracken in his book, Wisdom Pyramid, terrific name, can't miss it. It's on the bookstore. We got a few copies. Some of you asked, can I pick up a copy? Uh, grab one today on your way out. But remember I told you last week, he sets up the Wisdom Pyramid. Just kind of like the diet pyramid of what your priorities of how are your intake, your consumption should be. Here's what he says about this. Listen, in today's world of information gluttony, wisdom looks like intention. Approaching the glut, not haphazardly, but with a plan. Do you do things intentionally or do you just grab your phone? Right? Do you spend your time intentionally or you just turn it on? Right? Like, like is there intention in, in how we're living? Next, rather than being passive and pulled towards by the, sorry, pulled around by the cacophony of alluring voices of folly, beckoning us to veer off the straight path, in today's world, wisdom looks like the discipline of spending more time turning the pages of Bibles than scrolling through social media feeds. It means developing a hunger for the nutrients of a healthy local church more than the teeth-rotting rot candy of online clicks. I think he's right. But I think that this is the voice of wisdom is to encourage us to examine, survey, are we being intentional? Survey our motives, our disappointments, the things that we're processing. And are we living towards the way of wisdom? Okay, before we close, I'm going to leave you with something because Jesus often, you're going to see these hyperlinks now. Jesus often brings us to this same imagery. And he does it in different ways throughout his teachings. He hyperlinks to this imagery in Proverbs to close his Sermon on the Mount, which is a big deal. If you know anything, if you remember, we went through the Sermon on the Mount a couple years ago. I don't know, COVID, maybe it was way longer than that. But it was a while ago, okay? And we went through the Sermon on the Mount, 
And we looked at that teaching, but that was like Jesus' like magnum opus sermon, right? He was packing all of his kingdom ethics into that sermon. And he ends his sermon with this picture of two gates and two houses. He ends the sermon with these two images. Watch in chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 13, we see the two gates. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to where? Destruction. And there are many who go through it. He's lamenting. He's saying that's sad. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, but few find it. Do you see the language? This is Proverbs, way of wisdom, way of folly language. And if you picture it, on the left side, we have a theme park entrance. And it's like we can just run through the theme park because on the other side waits sunburns, slushies, and fun. Right? And we look on the right side, and there's like a turnstile. Or it's the magnetic security thing. Right? One at a time. You just go through and then beep, and then you have to walk back. Okay? You look at that and you're just like, well, that looks way better. Like the theme park entrance looks way easier because there's no lineup. I hate lineups. Right? So it's like, I'm going to go that way. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 wait. Understand that what's important to consider is what is on the other side of the gate. Where is it headed? Where are you oriented towards? Is it the way of wisdom or is it the way of folly? Because Jesus says his way, his way of wisdom is narrow. It's strange. It's weird. It's not the norm. So like this is why I'm always confused when in culture we're like, culture... Culture is like hurting. We've got we to gotta take the culture. It's like we're, we're so small here. It's like, well, yeah, because you're weird. Like you're weird. You believe weird things. They just happen to be true. Like we believe the strangest thing ever. That a Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago got murdered for being a ca capital punishment for being a political criminal and a zealot. And then he got up again and said, oh, yeah, no, that's not going to work. And anybody who follows me, I'm going to do that for them too. Okay, so that's strange. But that's the way towards wisdom. And Jesus' way is strange. Listen, it's narrow because of who is at the center. Are you with me with that? Like on that? Like, like it's narrow because of who is at the center. Because the wide path is you are at the center. But Jesus' way is narrow because he is. And to follow Jesus is to walk away from the crowds. And to walk away the, from the way that the crowds are going. To walk away from the, the orientation of the crowds through the wide gate. So he says the wide, easy way leads to destruction, just like the voice of Lady Folly. Now, why is it easy, though? Well, because there's no boundaries. There's no boundaries. There's no censorship on what you think and what you believe and what you want. You just do you. You live your truth. You're just totally open-ended. You just be who you are or whoever you say you are. Just go and do that. Go with the flow. It's natural to me, so it must be good. It must be right. But the narrow way, the hard way, actually leads to life. Life so full that it casts that shadow back and changes everything. It changes our identity. It changes who we are. It changes our desires. It changes our heart. It changes how we walk through our own weaknesses and growth and all of that, right? But it's narrow because there's tight, there's pressure you'll feel. That's actually in the Greek. It's, like, it's compression. If you go the way of Jesus, you'll be crushed. It's like, what a sales pitch. Isn't that amazing? Like, don't you think our churches will be full if we're just like, come to Jesus and he will bless you with everything you say you want because he's awesome and he's a sugar daddy in the sky. That, our churches would be full because that's default human heart thinking. I just want what I want anyway. So if God's just going to give it to me, praises go up, blessings come down, baby, I'm here. But that's not this. There's a crushing. There's a refining there's a fire we walk through that we're going to get stretched and squeezed on and pushed on. That's the way that leads to life. Because it's narrow, because right and wrong is defined, and morality is defined, and values are already defined. But it leads to satisfaction so full that we couldn't imagine it. And that's to follow the voice of Lady Wisdom. So just like Proverbs here, we see Jesus leaning on that with the two gates. But hear me, this is important. If you haven't chosen the narrow way, if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus through the hard way, it's because you've already chosen the wide, easy way. To make no choice is to make the wrong choice. Because eventually you'll merge 
into the way of destruction. That's what's really important here. If you have not chosen the narrow way, you've already gone the wide way. To make no decision is the wrong decision. And notice, this is awesome, notice that here with Jesus, it's not a road that we have to walk and earn the gate at the end to get through the gate. So, so often it's just like, you know, did you do enough good things? And then Peter's at the gate. I don't know why it's always Peter, because he's a bonehead anyway. But it's like, Peter's there and he's just like, wait, are you on the list? No, hell. Right? Like, what? He's the judge, judge apparently? I don't, I don't get it. He's like, yes, you can come in. Come on in, Scooter. Good job. Football butt tap on the way in or whatever, right? I don't know why it's always like that. But notice it's not that. It's the gate first and then an awesome way to life. Right? Cities were built with a gate to be like, don't come in here. This is our protection. This is our security. But in this way, the gate is small and narrow, but it's wide open. And the path waiting on the other side of that gate is life. And that decision of I'm going to enter into the hard way, the narrow way, leads us to life. That's the way of Jesus. It's so beautiful. Such a great invitation that we see from Lady Wisdom. And we see Jesus echoing here. And then last, and we're done, I promise, actually. Okay? The second one is two houses. Jesus moves from the two gates to two houses, two foundations, right? Down in chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 24, watch. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the words of wisdom, and acts on them will be like a, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house. Yet it didn't collapse. Because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded the house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great, epic crash. Let me ask you something. If you think about a vacation, would you rather vacation in a chalet on a rock or a chalet on the beach. Well, obviously, you're like, the beach. Of course I want to be on the beach. Well, let me re-examine and help you re-evaluate with Exhibit A. Watch this video. This was this week in North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas. Hmm, great real estate. What a great piece of property. Let's build a house there. It just goes on, and it just, it just get, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. Like, there's no, like, uh, mob of mermaids that come and save it or anything, okay? So, listen, this is the illustration perfectly captured by God's providence this week in real life, okay? In one of the Carolinas for us this week and sent to me by Pastor Pam. Thank you, Pam. Okay? <laughs> the beach house looks amazing. It seems like a great investment. It seems like the good life, but it has no foundation. But guess what? You wouldn't know that until the storm came. It's only when storms come that you actually are exposed to what your life is built on. And that's the thing about the secular project of our culture today. They have no way to reckon with Unexpected changes, suffering, pain, loss, or death. But the gospel gives us all of that. But nothing shows us what our life is truly built on like suffering. Like when a storm comes. Storms actually reveal what your life is built on, what's at the center. Whether you're living towards wisdom or not. The storm will tell you. So listen, all it took was a pandemic or sickness interrupting life. All it takes is broken relationships or strained friendships or job loss or financial challenges or unexpected changes or that diagnosis for your entire foundation to be revealed and to ask the question of you, what have you actually been building your life on? And that's what Jesus wants to show us. Because foundations, typically, that one was visible, which is dumb, but usually foundations are not visible, right? Foundations are underground. You don't see them. But foundations are invisible until they're tested. And then when they're tested, you actually see what the foundation was built on and what it was actually doing there. Jesus repeatedly invites us to the narrow way 
and to building our life on the rock. And he shows up and he says, build your life on me. Build it on me. Not on someone else. Not on a moment in time. Not on a certain thing in your family. Not on a church or what a church is doing or not doing or who's at a church or not at a church. Don't build your life on that. Because it's sinking sand. That's not the rock. Build your life on me and you will never lose. Build your life on me and I will never let you down. Now it doesn't mean you won't go through storms. You will. You will be crushed. You will be pressed on. But I've already beat you there. You can't lose. And it's an open invitation to all. And that's the good news. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And right after that passage, I'll just share it with you. Just reflect for a second. I'll share it with you. Right at the end of that passage where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Come and eat. I am the true living water. Come and drink and you will never thirst. Right after that, in John 6, here's what happens. Listen. And from that moment, after Jesus said that, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turned to the 12. So imagine that scene. The crowds are there and he says, listen, I'm the only thing you need. And the crowds go, forget this. I don't need to follow you. I'm going to go my own way. And he turns to his 12 and he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter, for once in his life, maybe that's why he's at the gate. For, for once in his life, he answers and he says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? That's the invitation from Proverbs. It's the invitation from Jesus' lips. And it's the same invitation for you and I today. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that the invitation is to everybody. It doesn't matter what your week looked like. It doesn't matter what your last night looked like. It doesn't matter what your religious upbringing looked like. It doesn't matter. None of that matters because this moment matters more. And that we can choose and have that invitation and respond and say, I'm going to build my life on Jesus. I'm going to go the way of wisdom. I'm going to turn away from the way of folly. I'm not going to just go after what's convenient and easy and looks satisfying. I'm going to go after what is orienting me towards life everlasting. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, you're not a God who just hides and makes us find our way, but you are the one who provides the way. And that you have done that through the good news of the gospel, through your son, Jesus Christ. And although there are changes, there are challenges that we will be crushed, we will be pressed on to follow after you. There will be things that are squeezed out of us that we never thought would be squeezed out of us. Or things that we didn't even want squeezed out of us. You promise us that on the other side of that gate is life. I pray now for us, for Reach Montreal, for all of us here this morning, that we would hear the voice of wisdom. That God, we would hear the voice of Lady Wisdom and follow after her call and enter into the banquet that you've prepared for us. And we would begin to enjoy you more and more, that we'd be satisfied in you and that you would be glorified by that. And I pray for each of us who have not yet made that decision. I pray that today would be the day that we surrender our heart. We don't even need to know what's coming next. We don't even need to know how we're gonna handle all of our stuff because you will. I pray that we would go after you and follow after you, that you would build us on you and that we will never lose because of that. We love you and we thank you and we ask these things in the only name that matters, in Jesus' name, amen.